welcome to the Affiliate Interview Series by StatsDrone. Today, we are chatting with Jacob Ganton. He's fresh out of school from economics, and he's the off-page specialist from Rebecca Media. Let's get to it. So, um, yeah, it's deja vu all over again, and I want to say this podcast is brought to you by Daily Backups, where if you back up your computer every day, you won't have to redo this podcast. And the irony is that we were just chatting about how we're both having computer problems this week. So last week we recorded this. I lost my backup uh, or I lost my hard drive and uh, I didn't back up uh, for the day. And here we are. And you've got some computer problems as well. So we're we've got something in common aside from an interest in stats and analytics as well. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's kind of fun that we get to do this again, uh, but at the same time, you know, you kind of wish that uh, we would not be, be dealing with these issues, right? Yeah, so let's start things off by doing an introduction. Uh, tell us how you got into affiliate marketing and SEO sure. and what you do with your current company. Yeah, sure. So um, I completed my, uh, my MSc, uh, my master's in economics uh, back, in, um, back in December. Um, so I've been with my current company since, yeah, basically since I completed my master's, uh, doing affiliate marketing in the, uh, sports betting industry. Uh, now I've been active doing affiliate marketing, um, in the past, uh, during my studies for my, for my own line of work. Um, and I've also always taken a great interest in, um, in statistics, partly due to the fact that, you know, I'm an econ major. Uh, econ people tend to, we do a lot of uh, mathematics, econometrics, uh, coding. Uh, we do a ton of uh, different statistic, uh, statistics courses. Uh, but I've also um, always had a keen interest in uh, American sports, uh, partly uh, the NFL, which I've followed since age 14. Uh, and also the MLB, which I've, uh, I basically became obsessed with uh, after reading uh, Bill James' uh, uh, book on on Moneyball and actually how um, how you can integrate um, analytics to um, read and, and interpret sports uh, in a better way. Um, so really, the opportunity to both combine. Uh, working with American sports, uh, working with uh, statistics and analytics, and also um, being able to to operate as an affiliate, which I've done in the past, has really been uh, a great opportunity. So it's uh, quite the unique skill set jumping into what looks like uh, not having a lot of background in affiliate marketing. But I think uh, you probably bring a different take where um, you know, what I see as trends, like not just saying, okay, this is what we do as a software company, but uh, focusing on the data. I mean, I think SEO has been a data-driven topic and in industry for nearly 20 years. And I think we're starting to see the aspects of that data-driven mentality seep into all aspects of marketing and affiliate marketing, which is, you know, analyzing your stats and going, what are the types of business intelligence tools that you can use to, to basically uncover you know, ways of doubling your conversion rather than saying, hey, you're going to focus on SEO to double your traffic. I mean, we'd want to do that all day long, but what are the other things you can do? Right. I think, so So there's two really like interesting angles to this. Um, the first I'd actually um, like to speak about is 
um, in economics, there's this really famous concept of, uh, we call it micro foundations, um, which basically speaks to um, a lot of economics as it's painted in the public sphere um, is in regards to the macroeconomic pictures. You're talking about inflation, you're talking about uh, central banking, the GDP, unemployment, all these grand concepts that influence the economy as a whole. Now, back in um, back in uh, the late uh, 1900s, uh, this Nobel-winning economist called uh, Solow, um, or not, uh, not Solow, sorry, Lucas, uh, basically came up with uh, what is now known as the Lucas Critique, or uh, more commonly referred to uh, in the economic sphere as microfoundations. And microfoundations basically is the idea that you shouldn't be able to paint these large pictures uh, without drilling into the micro data, right? And what I think we've found over the last 20 years of SEO um, is kind of this thing where people used to guess a lot. People used to um, guess that, you know, a certain amount of backlinks would propel your site to a certain, you know, ranking, or um, you would have to stuff keywords in, in texts, or um, you could even try and spam your site with, you know, um, visitors that weren't, you know, entirely organic uh, to try and propel it in its its rankings. And over time, what we've found out is is all these grand ranking concepts can actually be pinned down more and more and more uh, using data and using analytics. Um, and I think as affiliates, a lot of people have. I, I think there's still a large discrepancy in how people use data and how people interpret data. Uh, but I think overall, the field has gotten much better at actually interpreting what we've been given. And SEO has a much clearer picture of uh, what you should do to to really succeed in this industry, right? Now, I, I think where you and I agree is really that um, a lot of people take data at face value. So either they don't use data at all, which is kind of a sin in my eyes, uh, or they just take the data at face value and they don't actually try to put context to the data. Um, it's like looking at an NFL game and, you know, seeing that uh, a, a receiver got, you know, zero catches in one game. But what they fail to mention is he's been like covered by three guys all game. Um, and I think that's really the, the part um, that I'm able to, to bring into affiliate marketing, right? To not only be able to um, bring a, a data and analytics mindset, but also actually having a foundation of these last five years where I'm able to put context to the data and interpret it properly. Um, yeah. That's, uh, that's pretty interesting. I mean, I think we would all agree that storytelling and data is extremely important. And I think what you've highlighted, you know, with the receiver being covered by you know, three people, of course, you're going to have bad data. And I know in my case, uh, just looking at some old historical data, it's, um, you know, I looked at it and I, I broke down data by uh, clicks and conversions and revenue made by days of the month. And a lot of things happened on the first days of the month, but that was also because I was being extremely proactive. So it wasn't that the brands were actually doing all that work in the start of the month. It was me saying, okay, it's a new month. And, you know, because the negatives don't have a, 
any influence on the last days of the month. It's I want the month to go strong. And I, I was heavy on newsletters. So if you looked at the data, you'd be, you would, you'd come up with the wrong conclusion without taking context into it. And I think you've actually got a really interesting insight when it comes to SEO and 20 years of data and making the right decisions where, um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's obviously pulled in a lot of people. It's made a lot of people, a lot of money, but I think in the last 10 years, we've seen some insane and profound SEO tools that are all based on that same concept of basically going, I think uh, there's a pattern here and I'm going to use data to solve it. And once they've solved it, it's basically, it's, uh, you know, you call them SEO tools, but I, I kind of look at them and go, you know what, these are really business intelligence tools at the end of the day. Right. And I think a lot of people have a tendency to get lost in, um, like Google tends to release updates, right? Like spam algorithms and, um, you know, every now and then they make a major algorithm. But what I've found, at least in my experience, is that over time, even though things change, you know, here and there, as long as you have a solid foundation um, and as long as you're able to like, look at the data and properly interpret what's actually going on, there's never really been any major changes in what you have to do to, you know, start ranking a website, start gaining traffic, um, start actually succeeding as an affiliate. Um, it's really the same game plan. And then maybe you can tweak the last five or 10% based on the updates. Uh, but, you know, over the last two, three years, I, I think the only thing that's actually been consistent is that the, the players in the industry um, who have a tendency to really drill down on the numbers and see what works, you know, based on conversions, based on CTR, based on, um, even if you're running things like Google ads based on cost per click and so forth, um, are really going to be the people who are, who are succeeding in the long run. Um, and I think that's what we're seeing that, especially with, with some older sites and older affiliates, um, that they've basically had to resort to, um, purchasing assets from new sites because they're not able to compete um, with this new upcoming data mindset, right? Uh, there's this, these large uh, conglomerates that both you and I you know, know of um, that have a tendency to just, instead of, instead of actually adopting a mindset and changing for the better, um, they just acquire sites that do it the right way. Well, they either acquire sites that do it the right way or they find sites that they know they can say, well, we already have an SEO department and we're going to totally leverage that. And I think it kind of goes full circle into going, well, what's what's at the end of rankings? It's looking at the data. And I think what you see a lot of data, like a lot of people that are you know, mid to large size affiliates is they kind of look at this and go, the users need to react to this. And if the users aren't reacting, then you know Google's going to realize that this is part of the feedback loop. Like, you know, do you have the right calls to action? Is your content uh, spammy? I mean, we're not even talking about AI content, whether Google wants to identify and, and block it. But, um, you know, I think we're seeing a change of, you know, value has to be the main uh, prop for, for users. And I think mid-sized to larger affiliates that kind of have a good grasp uh, with one exception that I think there's a lot of uh, new affiliates that are coming through the door. And I think they might change something where maybe they don't have that data-driven mindset but, um, you know, at the end of the day, um, you kind of still want data to make a, a decision to go what's working, what's not working. Yeah, I mean, e even even if there are um, 
are people who are up and coming and they have a different view of of how to approach things and also how to um, really leverage themselves to you know make a name for themselves in the industry. Um, I think the only thing that's going to come from that is that the mid-sized affiliates um, who already have a solid foundation are just going to adopt those principles and integrate them into what they're already doing um, and become even better. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with people basically like starting up using new ideas uh, because eventually if those ideas work, they're going to become part of the, the new norm. Um, but I think you really hit the nail on the head that you know, mid-sized affiliates and smaller affiliates, they always have the flexibility and, and really the ability to adopt and they can adopt really quickly. Whereas larger affiliates, um, especially if you, have, if you have a large network of sites where the, the decision process really has to influence not only one site, but maybe a network of like 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 sites, um, it could get a lot slower to adapt and also what you might be able to, um, what you might be able to see is that once they've adopted these things that have become the norm, then that you know norm has actually you know passed by. There's already another trend that's that's taking place um, that's you know making a killing for for other affiliates. The the only thing I would actually say about larger affiliates where they have a distinct advantage um, is the fact that you and I. Um, as affiliates, we are not able to utilize that much data. Um, we're, we're able to paint somewhat of a good picture, but we're never really getting enough uh, bang for our buck to be able to split test things or like do multiple A-B tests that have statistical significance for what we're trying to achieve. Whereas these large conglomerates with you know millions upon millions of people using their sites, um, they can make you know the tiniest of tweaks um, and they can actually find out in a meaningful way if what they're doing matters or not, right? And then once they've found this out, they can leverage it for all their other sites. And there, uh, unless you and I actually have some level of insider information, there's no way for us to know if what they've done is successful uh, unless we recognize some massive pattern. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's, it, it's usually going to be small tweaks just given the nature of, you know, how large these sites are. So we're not going to be able to, you know, leverage any of their data, um, despite there there being so much of it. Yeah, that was always uh, something that I ran up against in running affiliate sites a, a while ago, where it's like the more data you had, the more you were confident that what you were looking at was, you know, it, you're getting a convergence toward or having a confidence rate of that data. And I found with like redesigns. Um, the more data you had, the better. And sometimes with less data, you needed more time to kind of say, okay, I, I might actually need a month rather than, you know, if you're a big affiliate, you can sometimes basically have a single day and go, yeah, this data is converging to the truth. And this new design is converting at a 25% uh, rate versus the old design. So, so when do you think, let me just post this like as an hypothetical, right? If you, if you started a new site today, at what point do you think that you've built the site to a standard where you can actually trust the data that you're getting? Like, where do you think, like, reasonably speaking, when do you think you've had enough data for you to be able to trust your conclusions? Uh, that's a tough one. 
I mean, because I mean, like, here's why it's a big challenge. If you're dealing with a site that has a, a small number of pages, you've got like easier some easier data to work with. But when you've got something where it's like uh, you know one page is getting five clicks per month, and yeah, you might be getting ten or twenty thousand visitors per month, but if that's spread over so many pages, and each page is either a different topic or the collections are all over the place, it's hard to kind of you really want to have them in, broken into, into segments. So, for example, these are the blog posts. This is the homepage. These are the listing pages. Uh, this is the review page. I mean, they're all, they're all a little different. Uh, how much data do you need? I don't know. But um, I kind of think as small affiliates that are looking for answers, I think there's a couple of hacks um, people can kind of look at. Um, there's AI heat maps, which are something that I've been noticing that's been around for at least a month. You know, so you have tools like Hotjar that will look at your conversion rate optimization through, you know, heat maps and going what's working, what's not working. But I find the AI heat maps are not so bad. And one thing that I've never really jumped on that I probably should have paid a lot more attention to, which is trying to solve this problem of going, I don't have enough users. Hotjar will will look at your users and it'll show you replays of what's actually happening on the website. And there's actually services where you can pay. I don't think it's very expensive, but you can actually pay users to go through your site and they either go through it and you kind of get to follow their journey or they do it and they actually give you feedback and going, you know, this page didn't make sense. I didn't like the content. I didn't like the layout. And I find that with, um, you know, there's plenty of these services and it's, uh, I think it's almost like common sense to, you know, to put that user hat on. No one's really doing things like that. And I believe there's actually good value in these services where, I don't even think they cost that much. The, the, the only thing I would would contest, I guess, or not even contest, but more so bring, bring to light is while these services sound really nice to have, what, one issue I've, I ran into is with these services is the accuracy of the users themselves, right? How well they reflect your target user base. Um, so for instance, I'm working as a gambling affiliate, right? Like sports betting. And if I'm getting a bunch of data, let's say, you know, a million people go through my site, but none of the people are actually, you know, my ideal customer base, um, as a sports betting affiliate, they might just be interested in, in something, you know, entirely different when I'm running this AI experiment, then I could be presented with, you know, completely false conclusions because the the things that appeal to to the target group that the ai selects may not appeal to um sports betting customers uh because they might have a different mindset or they might value certain things uh entirely different um and, and that's one of the things that i really um that I'm really trying to bring to my current organization and what I worked with a lot as an economist because my, my, my main work was in the field of econometrics, uh, which is basically just the statistical application of data um, and using uh, different statistical concepts to weave into economics, right? And I think one of the biggest lessons I, I took away from econometrics and when I did my models and you know ran my regressions and so forth, it's really um, variable selection. So not only uh, looking at how many variables you have, but also the relevance of those variables, right? Um, 
for instance, I, I did an experiment on um, the school system in Sweden um, for a thesis I did. And I was looking at, basically I was trying to um, estimate if segregation level in, levels in schools um, had any effect on where teachers would you know, choose to work. And one of the things I learned was that segregation levels could actually have an effect, uh, but they could also be offset by things like household income or parents' backgrounds. So if the parents were really educated and in that case, the segregation might not actually be the problem, but the income level might be the problem. Or um, if the parents were, were educated might be the important variable. So while I find these, um, these AI tools really intriguing, for me, I think it's more so about, even if I'm getting smaller sample sizes and even if I'm getting um, a really tiny amount of data, what's most important for me is really like the accuracy of the users themselves. Um, and I feel I have a really hard time personally in, in trusting, you know, farming out these services uh, to, to people who might not even be part of my end consumer group. Uh, group. I would agree. Uh, what what I would su uh, suggest and also kind of maybe recommend is that if you were to use these uh, tools, it's like take it with a grain of salt because I mean yeah. the data that's more true at the end of the day are your actual users hitting your website and then doing the activities that you'd expect. You know, someone who's on a sports betting uh, affiliate website, it's like, well, what are they into? They're into odds. They're into a review. And obviously, if you put uh, tools like you know, um, you know, AI heat maps. Um, into play, it's going to be like, well, it's going to focus on the button. It's not going to focus like, what is the user there in the first place? And same thing with it comes to user testing, um, maybe not user testing software, but user testing services where they take people and it goes without saying, those are not part of your ICP. They're not your ideal customer. They're just basically people getting paid to go and run through the site and click on a bunch of things. And um, I, I still think there's, there's a use case for that data, but you're right. You got to take it with a grain of salt, and if you're just going to rely yeah. on that empirically, it's really interesting that you know a lot of data stories, especially in the news and media, they pick and choose what they want. So it's like when they've got like you know a part of the data set, they'll use that to inform their opinion, or you know, and just kind of like change the narrative when it's uh, when it's really kind of biased in some way. Yeah. No, for sure. I I think. It in media, especially if you're trying to, you know, generate headlines or, you know, pick and choose what's, what's interesting, or even if you're working with, you know, tight deadlines and you have editors chasing down your neck, it's really easy to just forego part of the data and forego part of the context um, in order to get a good story. And honestly, like, I don't blame anyone who's doing it. Um, like I'm out here trying to make a living as much as anyone else. Um, but, but I do think it's an excellent example that sometimes people really tend to forego context. Let's put it, uh, <laughs> let's put it nicely. <laughs> yeah, uh, that reminds me of a quick story where I saw an article where someone said, there is no data to back up this claim. And I won't get into the context, but I'm like, no, there's extreme amounts of data that back up that claim. So what they said was opposite of what I believe to be the truth. <clears throat> and this was uh, CBC. It was a uh, you know, Canadian... Uh, um, news. It's basically on the same level as BBC. So 
these things happen all the time. I think, uh, and I think we're always going to be expecting it. Um, next, I want to jump into, or the last thing is to talk about the different uh, tools you use, whether they're SEO or stats and data related. Cool. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the, there's so many tools. I feel like I could, um, I could go all day, honestly, but I'll, I'll go through like the most important ones and I can also kind of differentiate between the two. Um, just so I don't mix economist or economist tools with, you know, yeah. SEO tools. So um, when I did my, my econ work, um, I mostly worked with Stata R and I mean, Stata R, uh, obviously like Excel is excellent for just segmenting data. Um, it's also primarily used to import data into a lot of these, uh, these statistical softwares. Um, but yeah, Stata and R specifically are just really versatile tools um, that allow you to run different statistical projections. Um, and to, depending on your, your level of proficiency, um, kind of alter the data and uh, do some cool coding and, and do some cool experiments. I know you and I talked about it before and I told you about uh, how I used to make these statistical models for, for table tennis, right? Um, using R, and that's the letter R. R. Right. It's uh, a yes. <clears throat> pretty geeky software, but it's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it's really cool, um, and it, it, it's super geeky. But most most econ departments require students to, well, all econ departments require students to learn at least one out of R, SPSS, or Stata, just because those are kind of the primary tools you would use. And then there's a like additional software that you have to learn, you know, the further you go. Um, but what I found out was if I compiled enough data and if I ran different statistical projections and models using R, um, I could actually find value in uh, Russian and Ukrainian table tennis games uh, just due to the sheer amount of volume of games that kept going on every single day. Uh, so I spent a good good amount of my my studies just sitting at home playing table tennis uh, betting on table tennis and and really making a good income out of it um <laughs> that's hilarious <laughs> but um obviously it kind of had to stop once i once i got further into my studies just due to the nature of the the workload right um but yeah those are primarily the the econ tools i've been using and then for seo it's you know, the normal stuff, which is Ahrefs, SEMrush, when you're trying to, you know, analyze websites, analyze keywords, uh, backlinks, outgoing links, <clears throat> all kinds of stuff. Um, I, I also tend to use this tool called, have you used Screaming Frog before? Yes, I, I like that yes. one. And it's, uh, it looks ghetto as a tool, but it <laughs> it's extremely efficient at what it does. It's, uh, it, it's kind of like a must have in the toolkit. Yeah, I think Screaming Frog actually might be the, the ugliest SEO tool uh, that exists. But it, it's so useful for like crawling a website um, and also just auditing not only your own site, but actually auditing other people's sites uh, and seeing how they're, you know, how they're built up. Um, another tool I've, I've really made good use of is um, do you have an extension called? It's literally just called nofollow. 
I've used that a long time ago, but uh, yeah. I've stopped using it. Yeah, so I mean, for those who don't know, um, links, basically linking from one site to another, uh, the links on a website are usually ta uh, tagged nofollow or do follow. Uh, do follow means that um, the site passes on a far ID from one site to another site. Whereas if it's tagged nofollow, you're not getting a lot of it out of it. Um, and this nofollow add-on, which you can just download on um, Chrome on or Google. Firefox, yeah. it's on most major browsers. Exactly. Basically makes it so that whenever you go onto a website and you look at any link, you don't actually have to view the page source of the website, but it just kind of, it's a red box around the link which shows you that, okay, this link is a nofollow link. Um, and then the last tool I tend to use is um, a tool called Keywords Everywhere. Um, I, I wouldn't recommend it if you don't like cluttering when you do your Google searches, uh, because what ends up happening is uh, you're gonna Google something and then it's going to give you like a list of keywords based on what you've Googled. So it's really useful if you're trying to like if you're like me and you're not really innovative when it comes to keyword research, um, or you kind of just want to brainstorm, <laughs> exactly, or you just feel like you know I'm googling something, I might as well just get some extra data while I'm doing it. Then it's a really nice tool, uh, but it, it can get a bit annoying when it keeps like cluttering your screen. Yeah. So it, it's not for everyone. Uh, I think we'll wrap this up soon. Uh, but uh, as a topic, I wanted to ask you, have you heard of the Data Engineering Podcast? Nope, never. Okay. I've been listening to this for the past week. And obviously, we've been chatting for the past week and a half because we obviously have done this uh, podcast previously and <laughs> due to my uh, losing sure. of my computer. But it's a really cool podcast because it's like I know that you've got a, a background in data. And it's uh, I have a, a, a similar background in data, but maybe in a different angle. But uh, it's uh, just doing a mild shout out to that podcast. So if anyone is really thinking from a data first uh, mentality in affiliate marketing, um, this one actually doesn't quite always talk about data, data in affiliate marketing, but there's some tools that are actually coming like very close and it's just uh, really interesting. So as someone who from one data geek to another, uh, I'll give a shout out to that one. And we'll end this off by saying, how can people get a hold of you if you want them to get a hold of you? Uh, yeah, if I want people to get a hold yeah. of me. I think, honestly, I've, I've really enjoyed... So I never used to use LinkedIn in the past. Um, my LinkedIn profile is probably as inactive as it gets. I think my profile picture is actually from four or five years ago. Uh, not the most active guy. But um, LinkedIn is a great tool. Uh, I don't like it when people email me just due to the fact that um, my inbox is just cluttered as it is, right? Um, yes. so LinkedIn above all else, yeah. uh, because I'll, I'll respond, you know, 16 hours out of the, what, 24 hours we have available. Yeah. So we can include that link in the show notes. So that's uh, Jacob Ganton. Sure. And, uh, you don't have a name like mine where there's thousands of me, I think. <laughs> so, um, should be easy to spot you. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah. Again. Thank you so much. Again. <laughs> Again. <Yes. laughs> All right. Great. Thank you for listening. And if you could do me a big favor, could you leave a comment or a rating wherever you listen to this podcast? It'd be a major help and it'd help us boost our rankings. Thank you so much.